Chris Shembra is a values-driven, heart-led author and keynote speaker on a mission to cure the epidemic of loneliness and the crisis of disconnection in the modern workplace. He has spent over eight years creating team building and client engagement programs and teaches how to make a shift towards authenticity and deeper human relationships to achieve outsized business results. You can find out more about him at chrisshembry.com. In today's show, he talks about connection, emotion, and humanity in the workplace, flipping the script in interviews with mirroring, labeling, and asking how and what questions, the importance of connection, and empathy in your job search. We hope you enjoy the conversation. All right, everyone. Welcome back to the Ramped Podcast. Today, we have an extra special guest with us. It is Mr. Chris Shembra. Chris, welcome to the show. Danny, thank you for having me. I'm so excited with the work you're doing to help people find their place in the world, and we're excited to be here with you and your audience today. Absolutely, absolutely. We've been admiring you from afar. You seem like you are everywhere. You've got books. You've got a club that I want to learn a little bit more about. You're all over Instagram, all over LinkedIn, so we are super pumped to be chatting with you. Before we jump into all of those things and more, one question for you, Chris, before we get started, who is Chris Shembra. Who is Chris Shembra? That is the $64,000 question, as the, the old TV show once said. You know, Danny, I am a curious question asker, a stand-up paddle surfer, a bocce ball player in Brooklyn, a guy who loves to make a, a mean cocktail, loves to have friends over to eat some good dinner, and we spend the majority of our time helping the world's biggest companies build more meaningful moments of connection, more connection to their internal and external stakeholders. I think that, that I'm a guy who's got a long history of non-suicidal self-injury, depression, multiple stints in rehab, jail, all those kind of things. And I know what it means to feel lonely, unfulfilled, disconnected, insecure, nervous, cautious, anxious, overwhelmed, probably a lot of the things that a lot of your job-seeking professionals are feeling right now. And we dedicate our life to helping people not feel that way in whatever ways that we can, through our experiences, through our books, through our podcasts, through our magazine columns, through my relationship with my dog, Leonardo, who's sitting right beside me, and, and uh, yeah, and so much more. So that's, that's Chris in a nutshell. Kind of hard to peg down, but I'm just a curious dude who likes to ask a lot of questions. Well, we love curiosity here at Ramped and especially on the Ramp podcast. We like to dig in with people. I want to dig in with you on a few things. Let's start at the top and I appreciate the overview of who you are. You went really broad, which is always really, really important because you're not just what is on your resume or what you put on LinkedIn. You're so much more. So from the top, and I know this for our audience is folks have a lot of trouble understanding organizations. They think of them as, especially during the job search, as these entities that are really hard to crack into. And you put it really nicely, you know, creating connections, creating moments. How do organizations create those moments from a top down or create those connections from a top down? And then we're going to go a little bit deeper on that thread. Gosh, that's a great question, Danny. You know, my, my friend Mark Levy, who was one of Airbnb's first employees and recently retired as their global head of employee experience, once says that, you know, every organization, especially in the work that they were doing at Airbnb, every organization has kind of four goals around connection, around their people. One, let's increase connection to ourselves. 
Two, let's increase connection to our employees. Three, let's increase connection to the customers that we serve. And four, let's increase connection to the broader community that our products and our services impact humanity as a whole. And so I think from a top-down level, you know, companies, look, you're right. Companies are seen as these uh, faceless, peopleless machines devoid of humanity. But the truth of the matter actually is companies are filled with a tremendous amount of emotion and require a tremendous amount of humanity, especially for those of you who are coming from careers in the B2B space. A lot of the deals you're doing or the, the products that you're building involve hundreds of millions of dollars. There's a lot of emotion tied to that. There's a lot of humanity that's needed, strength of character that's needed you know, to run companies with those kind of things. And so from a top-down perspective, we always like to help leaders first come into the present and acknowledge their own humanity. There's a lot of leaders who are too wrapped up on what they want to achieve in the future, what their goals are 20 years from now. And oftentimes when you're wrapped up in that, the world feels a little anxious, filled with uncertainty. Tomorrow's not promised. And so we like to help leaders come into the present. And if we can first do that, we can hopefully inspire leaders of organizations to want to help their employees come into the present and acknowledge their humanity, right? How can we serve our customers if we're not serving our teams? How can we, not, how can we serve our teams if we're not serving ourselves and our own humanity? And so I think from a top-down perspective, it starts with leaders asking that one simple question. And to do so in every keynote we deliver, in every experience we produce, in every podcast we run, in every book we write, we always like to ask leaders a simple question. What's one word that honestly describes how you feel right now in this moment? There's a lot of leaders that never take the time to just stop long enough to even do just that. So to give them the pause, to actually do that reflection and knowledge how they're doing, step one. To get them to write about it or journal about it or talk out loud about it is step two. To communicate to others how you authentically feel and to listen how they authentically feel is step three. And if you can ask that one simple question on every team check-in or on, you know, on every one-on-one check-in you have with a team member, you'll start to drive that, that kind of human connection from the top. Really, really, really solid. I love that question. It is something that personally I've spent a lot of time and over the last, let's call it like 18 months thinking about how to just feel what I'm feeling and not fight what I'm feeling and move forward or move through it. So that resonates really loudly with me and there are practical applications at businesses. So I love hearing that too. Danny, uh, can we do a quick little role play? You're flipping the script on me, Chris. You're flipping the script on me, Chris. Of course. Yes. Let's go for it. I got it. to. <laughs> Danny, I'm going to set a four-minute timer on the clock, and all I want to do is understand how you're authentically doing right now and just get to know you a little bit better. You know, I think your listeners know so much about the people that you bring onto this podcast, but I'd like to give your listeners the gift of getting to know you. I'm going to use three simple things to get to know you in this way, and it's something that every leader that's listening today can bring to their team. I'm going to mirror the words that you say. I'm going to label the emotions that I see, and I'm going to ask you what or how questions. Does that sound like something fun we can do for four minutes? Let's go for it. Let's go for it. So four minutes begins now. Danny, 
Can you tell me three sentences about your day? Ooh, three sentences about my day. Absolutely. My day started at 5.30 a.m. when my eldest son came, I guess, happily smiling into my bedroom because he has just discovered how to get out of his bed for the first time. So that's how my day started. I spent the next two or so hours in child chaos because my other son was also up and it is the morning time and we are getting them ready for for school or I guess for camp right now. And then somehow I made it to a WeWork where I'm recording a podcast right now and that is what I'm doing. Now I'm working. 5.30 a.m. Your son comes in with a big old smile. How does that make you as a father feel? Well, two things. One, the initial reaction of being woken up is never fun. So that is always a little challenging to deal with. However, he's almost four now, so I'm, I'm very used to it. The smile on his face is too hard to not smile back at. So this, you know, so it quickly subsides and moves into, you know, just a lot of joy to see him smiling so big. It sounds like you've raised him in a way that makes him feel excited to run into the open, welcoming arms of his parents. I would hope so. I really do. I really hope he's a very happy kid. When you were a kid, what was the first instinct you would have when you woke up in the middle of the night? Definitely to find my parents. Definitely. Do your parents know now how good of a job they did raising you? Uh, that's a great question. Oh my God. I, I, don't, I would hope so. I would hope so. I don't know the answer to that question, but I very much hope they do. If your son was 35 years old, you know, 21 years in the future, what do you think he would say were the reasons that keep him waking up in the middle of the night as a kid? Can you repeat that? No, I want to make sure I understand it. So are you saying when my son is older? I'm going to throw out that question. Yeah, 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 yeah. If your son, who's four years old now, hadn't woken you up in the middle of the night this morning, what would have woken you up in the middle of the night this morning? What keeps you awake? Uh, what keeps me awake? Oof. Oh, man. I would say the general stress of building a startup is certainly weighing heavily on my mind. And I'm sure the folks who work at Ramsmon on a daily basis, we support thousands of job seekers and we consistently want to do right by them every day. We're working our butts off to make sure that the job search is easy for them. Your son's instinct was to run to your arms with a happy smile on his face. What's your first instinct when you wake up in the middle of the night with this anxiety? Oh man, check my phone. <laughs> something, something not productive. Something not productive? I'm sure for me, it's like, you know, if I'm waking up with that anxiety, it's check my phone. My final question is, what do you hope the people listening to this podcast that use your product to help job seekers find a new home? What do you hope that they do in the middle of the night when they wake up with this type of anxiety? What I hope for our community or the customers we have and the customers that we're, we're going to serve is they take a step back and they try to get out of that spiral of having to wake up in the middle of the night because of a job search or because of this stress stressful period and know that we are committed to building a much better way where 
you don't have to work for the job search. The job search comes to you and we're attacking it piece by piece today where the job search is, but in the future for your next job or for jobs that are in the future, jobs that are out there for you, it just is autopilot. Like you don't have to work at it. It's just happening. Well, Danny, I look forward to the day that you can find the peace of mind yourself, the way that you've provided a place of connection for your son first thing in the morning and for thousands of job seekers any time of day through the company that you've built. Thank, Thank you for you. getting Thank vulnerable you. in those quick four minutes. Yeah, of course. Thanks for doing that. I haven't had the rules reversed on me in four seasons of this show, so I appreciate it, Chris. That was a lot of fun. <laughs> if you go back and listen to that, those four minutes, and your listeners go back and listen to those four minutes, you'll see I only did three things. I mirrored whatever you just said by repeating maybe three words from the previous sentence or paragraph. I labeled your emotions, sounds like, seems like, looks like, making you feel like I was listening. And all I did was I asked you a what or a how question. I didn't ask you a why question. I didn't ask you a when question. Just what or how. And for all the folks, the job seekers that are listening, if you use those three skills in your next job interview to help the job employer, the job hirer, whoever's trying to hire you, if you ask them these questions and you create that safe space, even for four minutes, for them to kind of do what Danny just did, they're going to look at you, the interviewee, and say, holy guacamole, that was different. Let's put an earmark by this person. Most definitely. Most definitely. That is a standoutable way to run an interview and for sure to ask questions at the end of an interview as well. I think that's a job well done. It would take some practice, but I think that if you run that, <laughs> you're definitely going to get to the bottom of for sure what uh, we coach on a lot, which is find the problems. Why are you hiring for this role? Find mm -hmm. the problems that exist and just start solving them or showing yeah. or demonstrating that you can solve them. Yeah. Chris, I have a question for you on the employer side and more at that onset of the employer journey with a potential employee. So a lot of times we meet with job seekers who have said something like, hey, we're applying. I'm applying to 200 roles. I'm getting rejected from 200 roles. I get ghosted a lot in these interviews. I know you mentioned connection a lot, especially from an employer side. What are tangible things that you've seen employers do to build connection with either future employees through an interview process or current employees as they're just getting started within that organization? I don't think I'm qualified to talk about the former. What I can talk about is the latter. So I'm not qualified to talk about, as an employer, how do you create meaningful moments of human connection with a prospective employee? Actually, I am. <laughs> Would you consider an intern as a prospective employee or actually sure. someone who, okay. So yep. for instance, we do a lot of work with city, the city group. And every year they have a couple thousand city summers, also known as summer interns. They call them city summers. And in the middle of the pandemic, their city summers could not come together in person to New York City for their summer analyst internship. That summer analyst internship is extremely important for Citigroup because something like 70 to 80 to 90%, I don't know the numbers, of interns who 
were then offered jobs at the end of the internship, accept those jobs, and join as first-year analysts the next year after college graduation. So it's a very important recruitment process. And in the middle of the pandemic, none of the city summers could come together. So we worked with City to put together a whole week's worth of our virtual gratitude experiences. 120 kids, 120 City summers per experience to create meaningful moments of human connection. What that looked like is that multiple times a day for an entire week, we would bring 120 city summers together on Zoom for a 90-minute virtual team-building experience. You thought of it like a three-act play. The first mm -hmm. act was just us getting those kids to come into the present and acknowledge their humanity. Act two was about helping them dive into the past and practice authentic moments of gratitude. And act three was about looking ahead to the future, inspired, wiser, lighter, grateful, connected, happy, joy, ready to create more meaningful moments of connection tomorrow. At the end of that summer, in the midst of COVID, Citigroup saw the highest acceptance rates of any summer internship program they've done in recent years. Why was that? Because we created a social fabric of connection. The city summers connected in the most meaningful ways humanly possible during their program so that when the offer letter came at the end of the program, they said, all right, I feel like I belong. I feel like they see and value me and hear me. I'm going to say yes to this. So definitely if you bring your, especially if you're listening to this and you're a leader that's got a bunch of you know, interns that are in 150 of your different offices across the country, bring them together through some kind of meaningful experience virtually, and you will increase the propensity that they accept your job offer upon you know, the delivery. The second part of your question was on onboarding. Right? Google's famous for their onboarding. They call it the Noogler program. Every company calls it something different. But, you know, what you do in those first hundred days really, 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 you know, makes all the difference. And we've run a lot of onboarding programs where let's say you've got 30 people joining your company across different divisions on a particular week. Let's bring them together for a meaningful virtual gratitude experience to create peer-to-peer -peer connection across different teams. Why is that important? Most people, if they're lucky, can create meaningful moments of connection with their own team. But that only goes so far. True career growth within a company requires you building relationships outside of your team so they can move different divisions and jump horizontally or jump to, you know, diagonally to different job titles and, and, and you know, levels in the company. And so from the beginning, you got to create those cross-functional relationships. And we do a lot of that. Super, super helpful and impactful. It seems like that program and crazy, right? You build connection between people and people want to join yeah. the company it, where they have a connection. Forbes magazine ranked the 2020 City Summers program as the number one summer internship program of the year in the whole world. It's super cool. Forbes. Super Forbes cool. ranked that and, and we ran the social networking component of it. 
really really cool and obviously job well done on that one i i want to dig a little bit deeper on maybe some of the things that you see at great organizations sounds like city is one of them obviously google is a great example too what are some of the things you see at organizations that maybe our job seekers are feeling right now but don't necessarily get a sense to like look behind the curtain what do mm -hmm. those companies miss when they reach out to you or on board or even like ramp up a team what are they missing and obviously i'm sure connection is a part of it but what are they missing like tactically that could result in a job seeker feeling like hey this company just goes to me or i haven't heard back from them or you know this company uses a stronger word for that company as well yeah i mean i mean ultimately i think what a lot of job seekers probably come into the application process with is a lot of trauma and maybe a little bit of entitlement and sometimes a lack of empathy to what the employer is actually going through. You know, jarring statistics put out in Gallup's 2022 State of the Workforce report shows that 79% of employees are actively disengaged at work. Another study showed that 76% of American employees report at least one symptom of a mental health condition on a daily basis. The Surgeon General put out a report saying that 51% of Americans report feeling lonely on a consistent basis. That's likely what that employer, the hiring manager, is going through. They're disengaged, they're stagnant, they're uninspired, they're lonely as hell, and they're probably suffering in silence. They're miserable. They've got a symptom of a mental health condition. They've likely got a substance abuse problem. The amount of high-powered tech execs that have a drinking problem or a substance abuse problem is really jarring. There's like a massive percentage of them that report having four to five drinks a day. This is a big percentage, like way over 50%. Mm -hmm. So if you're a job seeker, you can't expect them to empathize with you in your current situation and why you need a job so desperately if you haven't first empathized with them and what's going on in their life. And so you need to meet their behavior with empathy and understanding. They may ghost you. They may be short with you. They may be not even paying attention to you when they get on the call. It's not a reflection on you. It's a reflection on the fact that they're crumbling on the inside. So you need to do whatever you can do in your power to help them solve that. Really, really good advice. Empathy cuts both ways. We talk yeah. about it a lot at our company especially because we must empathize with the job seeker today. We don't talk about as much the realistic perspective of what a employer or what an employee at a company is doing today, because a lot of times the job seeker pain is so intense. So we really mm -hmm. only have the mind share to focus on that today. We're building this platform for both sides in the future and somewhat today. Well, look here, you know, here's the jarring statistic or here's the jarring truth. You as the job seeker are walking around with a tremendous amount of trauma, right? You've likely been fired on unjust terms. Yep. You're running out of money. You've got to sell the home. You got to do something very drastic in your life because of this event that was forced upon you recently. That might create a victim mindset. You might be walking around this world with your hand out expecting people to give you special attention. If I could only show people how bad off I have it right now, maybe they'll pay special attention to me and maybe I'll be the one that gets in that door. And that's a victim mindset. That's a form of entitlement. 
you're walking around like you deserve special treatment. The other side of entitlement is the superiority complex. You might have been a really high-powered person at the last company that you were at, and now you're fired. You've got all this knowledge, and you've got all this wisdom, and you've got all this experience, and so you apply to that role thinking, oh my God, I'm better than every other job seeker out there. I deserve this thing. I'm going to get every phone call. This is going to be amazing. I deserve special attention. I'm superior. That's entitlement in itself as well. But you know what sucks? Entitlement won't get you nowhere. It'll just make the employer really pissed off. So the opposite of entitlement is humility and gratitude, a posture of otherness, empathizing with those that are trying to hire you. When you can fix that part about your psyche and you can open up your heart to empathizing with others first, you can actually create a meaningful moment of connection with the employer. It's really good advice. Really, really tactical advice too. I feel like I could talk to you about this for hours. I do want to ask one last question before the last question, because you're up to so many cool things these days. One, tell us, Chris, what you're working on today. I see the 747 Club. I know you've got a few books out there, Gratitude Through Hard Times. And I think the other one is Gratitude and Pasta, both both gratitude words. I want to talk about those. I want to see what you're up to. And then I will save some time for the last, last question. Yeah, you know, Danny, we've had a wonderful, wonderful run these close to the last decade, helping the world's biggest companies from Microsoft, Google, IBM, Dell, the United States government, help create meaningful moments of human connection in the workplace. We have been solving the crisis of disconnection and the epidemic of loneliness within the workplace in a really meaningful way, all through our company, 747. And as amazing as that impact has been, we've gotten complacent and content with what's going on over there. And as of recently, people have challenged us to do more. And what that's looked like is Chris Shembra, the personal brand, coming out from the shadows of 747. And I know this sounds like the biggest ego play in the world, but I think from a confidence imposter standpoint, I've hidden like a small little ball. I've hidden behind my own company for eight years. And so the next thing that we're doing, uh, all this stuff launches August 18th, Friday, August 18th, chrisshembra.com with a Chris Shembra sizzle reel, all about Chris. I've been saying we for the last eight years around 747, and now people want me to step out of the shadows and say, I, I am the question asker. I am the facilitator. I am the teller of amazing stories. And you know what, Danny? It feels weird as crap. It feels so freaking weird, but I'm excited for it. You know, Gay Hendricks wrote a book called The Big Leap. And in The Big Leap, she says that most people make a good living, have a good life, have fun, do meaningful work, whatever, living in their zone of excellence. But living in your zone of excellence only gets you so far. But you can't crack through your upper limiting beliefs into your zone of genius. Your zone of genius is where greatness lies. Your zone of genius is where a job seeker will get the most opportunities from employers. And I'm only just now 
learning how to step into my zone of genius. And that's all happening in late August and, you know, into the fall, just stepping on bigger stages and having bigger ideas and all that kind of stuff. So that's what's coming down the pike next for Chris. Well, love it. And I'm very excited for this launch <laughs> next week. We are going to be actively following it and honored that you would share this stage with us at this time in your career when you're about to take a next leap in your journey. Chris, before I let you go, we ask all our guests on the Ramp Podcast this one question as they head out. If you could go back in time now with the benefit of hindsight, what advice would you give yourself as you are entering into your professional career? Mm. Be curious, ask as many questions, go learn how to sweep the stage, take out the cigarette butts, do the lights, all these kind of things. You know, when, when I got my first start in the job world, I worked in the world of theater and we traveled around the world producing Broadway plays and having a really good time at it. And so often young kids would ask us, how do you become a better actor? And we would always say the same thing. Learn how to do the lights. Learn how to run the soundboard. Learn how to take out the cigarettes in the ashtray at the back of the theater. Learn how to restock the fridge. Learn how to do all these ancillary things. Be curious about the entire craft. I would say that I could have done a better job at that. But now I'm, you know, now I'm seeing so many things from so many different angles and I'm making up for lost time. Really, really good advice. Really good advice. The Euro dreams of sushi, right? Focus on the rice, do the little things first before you become the sushi master. So I appreciate that. Chris, where can folks find you? Well, if this is coming out at the right moment, I would say chrisshembra.com. And you heard it here first. Absolutely love it. Absolutely love it. Well, Chris, this has been an absolute treat. I loved that we did a little flip of the table here too. Thank you so much for walking me through that and our audience. I know they're going to absolutely love this action-packed episode, and we hope to have you back sometime soon on the Ramp Podcast.